Well, hey, everybody, this is Pastor Josh here with Pastor Jack, and we're excited to be with you today. And we're going to be doing a little something different yep. because of the times. And last Sunday, you spoke a message on the rapture yes. as you're in Second Peter. And it just started springboarding all sorts of questions from people. They're yeah. wanting to know what's going on in this time. And uh, we just got a flood of questions, so we thought it'd be a great idea just to chat about those and yeah. look at the scripture, what the Lord says. Yep. Hey, listen, before we get going, you guys, uh, Pastor Josh, uh, he may be new to the screen on, on, on this program, but um, uh, him and I have been laboring together for years, mm. and, and uh, he's overseeing the pastoral ministry here at Calvary. And um, just so you know him and uh, you become familiar with him. But um, yeah, we, we hit on the rapture. It was actually, I'm, I have to say that when you go to Second Peter chapter 2, you, you're specifically talking about verse 9. Mm. And a lot of us, uh, in, our, in our effort to read through the Bible, we don't slow down enough to catch mm. what's being said. And in verse 9, the scripture there said that the Lord knows how to reserve the wicked for the day of judgment. But the contrast to that is to deliver the godly uh, from wrath. And so uh, that verse, if you take the time to study it thoroughly, the key word in there is wrath. That there is a wrath that the righteous do not, they don't encounter that wrath. They don't experience that wrath. And so... What is wrath? You have to define wrath because people wrote and said, Pastor Jack, how in the world did you come up with a rapture verse, a rapture teaching out of that verse? Yeah. Very simply because the word wrath is the indignation of God. Yeah. The Bible, and we, we, we must, Josh, always apply what, um, what is known as expositional constancy. The word wrath in the Bible describes God's anger and vengeance and indignation against the wicked, which are called the ungodly. Mm. Nowhere in Scripture, nowhere, Old and New Testament, mm -hmm. do the righteous experience the wrath of God. Yeah. Nobody, no way. In fact, the one so true is that, that Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, they go through the fiery furnace... Yeah. And we believe typologically they're, they're a symbol of Israel. They went through that fiery furnace completely unscathed. Mm -hmm. Why? Because uh, they were not recipients of the wrath of God. Yeah. Uh, if you want to do typology, Daniel is not even there. Yeah. So he's pictured somewhat as the church. Yeah. Having said that, always remember that when the Bible teaches us that, for example, in the five chapters of 1 Thessalonians, each of those five chapters give you a verse or a couple of verses that teach that we will be delivered from the wrath to come. And that has nothing to do with hell. It has to do with God's vengeance on earth. Thus, 2 Peter 2.9 prompted our rapture teaching. Yeah. That was the foundation of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, Revelation outlines this great sense of God's wrath on the earth. And so we know that that time period is representative of God's judgment and dealing with Israel and dealing with, with, with this unbelieving world in yeah. a period of divine judgment. In fact, very, very good. Think about that. Um, when you do look at Daniel, with what you just said, Israel, the, the true Israel, mm -hmm. the faithful Israel, the believing Israel, 
will go through the tribulation period and survive. They'll make it. Yeah. There's no mention of the church. Yeah. Again, just like Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, through the fire, Daniel no longer mentioned or seen. Great parallel. You, you know, I mean, I think it's perfect, but you, I don't want to get stuck too much in typology. The point is, Jesus took the wrath upon himself Amen. for us at the cross. The believer, we may see persecution. I mean, I'm frankly expecting it, but we'll never see God's wrath. Yeah. Uh, we may see judgment, but we won't see the judgment that people are thinking. Uh, yes, yes, the Bible says judgment must first begin at the house of the Lord. But that is God's purification of his people, not the, the um, destruction yeah. of people. Yeah, and Jesus said that that time will be a greater tribulation than this world's oh, ever known. Yeah. And it's known some bad times, yeah, so absolutely. it's coming. Well, in regards to that, that timing of the rapture, several questions came in. So we'll just jump right into a question here. Um, this person wants to know, is the rapture imminent or are there certain things that have to happen first before the rapture? And that sometimes people get mixed up with the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, the rapture. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, you know what? Um, because we're doing this with no rehearsal, <laughs> what I would have done is I probably would have had some props set up here to answer that question. Uh, but basically this, uh, we have what is known as uh, the day of the Lord, we have what is known as the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we have the term the day of God. Mm -hmm. And so people, naturally, we want to place things in those containers. And that's actually a good thing to do. But uh, it's not always so tidy and clean. And when I say tidy and clean, to answer the question, uh, when we look at all prophecy eschatology is the term used in the Bible. We have to look at it in the context of what it's being packaged in. In other words, that teaching, what cup is it found in? And that's determined by the chapter or chapters mm. that are around it, okay? And so when we look at that, it's very, very important. We come to your question, mm -hmm. is the rapture imminent? You're asking that question because you must have heard that it possibly could be imminent. Here's what's really cool about your question is that the second coming, picture the second coming like this table that Josh and I are sitting at. Mm. There are various things on this table. We have a couple of Bibles. We have a Mac. We have our hands. And we'll just name this entire table the second coming. Mm. But if we want to dig down deeper, we have to divide up what the second coming is. The second coming commences with the rapture of the church. So the rapture of the church is a doctrine that is imminent, mm. and we need to remember this. Um, Paul the Apostle, the disciples, they not only understood it to be imminent, but they actually thought he was going to return before they all died. He kept using the term we. <laughs> we. We who are alive and remain. Great, great argument. It, I... Uh, I, I say I call it. Theologians for decades have called that, what you just brought up, the we statements of Paul. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't relinquish that hope, by the way, until he knows that he, his head's going to roll in Rome. Mm -hmm. Then he says, we who have loved. Mm -hmm. So Paul is looking for it. Jesus taught it. 
and the disciples uh, longed for it. In fact, even so, they in their eschatology, though at the time it was skewed, when Jesus is resurrected from the dead, they are now saying, oh boy, goody, goody, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, no, not just yet. You've got some work to do. I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come back. And the answer to that coming back is John 14, verses 1, 2, and 3. Listen, this is very, very important. Regarding the second coming, it begins with the rapture of the church. At some point after the rapture, nobody knows how long this is. People speculate because we don't know. Will the, will the tribulation period start next week after? Will it be an hour after? We don't know. We don't know. It could be a month after. It could be a year. We don't know. We don't care. What's going to happen, the trigger is the church is taken up. Thus, the church is always called to be ready. You don't know when. But from that time on, God pours out his spirit upon Israel. Mm. Israel becomes God's evangelistic mouthpiece to the world. John from heaven sees the work of Israel, the saved, and says, wow, a number is coming out of the great tribulation period that no man can number. Mm. That is the evangelistic efforts of, first of all, the 144,000, and then, of course, no doubt, those that are saved by their preaching. Um, But the rapture, we don't know when, takes place, and then there's an uh, unfurling, as it were, of the prophetic events. You can read about them. In Revelation 4, verse 2, 4, verse 2, all the way out to the end of chapter 18, uh, and at the beginning of 19, where you see all the events taking place on earth, uh, that is the tribulation period. It's all about Israel. It has nothing to do with the church. In fact, those saints, during that period of time, it, they aren't even included in the bride of Christ, as mentioned. Wow. It's interesting. The church is the bride of Christ, and the tribulation saints are someone altogether different. So would that also be the same reference that Daniel speaks of on that 70th week, that final week, that final seven-year period, yep. where he says, this is appointed for your people, and, right? And your holy city. Wow. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, that's great. Another question on that same sort of um, platform there with timing. He wants to know, uh, if we are with God instantly when we die... Why does it say the dead in Christ mm-hmm. rise first? Super great question. Um, if, you're, if you're the one who asked this question, you need to write this down um, and remember this. So there is what we understand in theology as that which is referred to as the intermediate state. So let me explain. We're here and now, and I drop dead. Josh does my funeral at Forest Lawn. (laughs) Josh and my family plant my body in the ground. I'm not there. The Bible says to be absent from the body for the believers to be present with the Lord. My body is is in the grave or cremated or lost at sea, whatever the case may be. I'm instantly with Jesus. Okay? So when Thessalonians 4 says that when Christ returns for the church, he's going to bring those... Uh, who are with him, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What are we talking about? It's, it's awesome. Watch this. The dead body is in the ground, or let's say turned to dust. But I'm with the Lord in consciousness, in spirit. When we say intermediate, intermediate state, 
Paul the Apostle told us in 1 Corinthians 15 that we will never be uh, unembodied creatures. We will always have a body. It's very important that he mentions that because what are the dead wearing right now in heaven if their bodies have not been resurrected? It's a great question and it's a great observation and it's also great theology because the resurrection has not yet happened. Think of this. If I die today and the rapture's next week, those who are alive and remain, those who are doing work around this world, they'll hear, they'll hear the, the rapture event. You can read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, uh, and the trumpet blast and all the shouts in the dead in Christ. The bodies will be resurrected. Everybody listen. Christians, in fact, um, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam uh, practice or believe in physical resurrection. Mm-hmm. And it is a biblical doctrine. Mm -hmm. And I say biblical doctrine. I'm not going to say that it's a Quranic doctrine because the biblical record was in existence long before the Quranic record. So, but resurrection means we have to be resurrected. No way can we be resuscitated. No way can we be reincarnated. It has to be physical resurrection. Mm -hmm. Right now, my mom and my sister and my dad, they're in heaven in in the intermediate state of being clothed by some form of provision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when the rapture takes place, the dead in Christ, their bodies are dead. Their spirits are very much alive. They get their new resurrected bodies, which are, well, their bodies, just like Jesus's mm-hmm. body was yeah. at his resurrection. And in a moment, you and I are, who are alive will be transformed instantly in a twinkle of an eye. We'll get that same type of body. The body that Jesus Christ sports today will have that yeah. same body. Because Paul told us that Jesus would be a first fruit of those who rise from the dead. And so this idea that we're going to be these sort of disembodied spirits for eternity in some sort of uh, unreal state, you know, that's that's not what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to real bodies in perfected state. I mean, this is incredible. (laughs) No, you guys, I'm just flipping out because immediately I just... What you just said is so incredibly exciting to me because uh, we're not some, yeah, we're not some ethereal type Mm -hmm. of gas creature floating. (laughs) When we're resurrected, you guys, we're going to eat food with Abraham. The Bible says we're going to sit at tables and we are going to uh, drink of the fruit of the vine with Jesus, who he says, I'm waiting for you to come. Mm -hmm. I don't get it, but I believe it. It's 100% spiritual and 100% physical. We will be resurrected. Listen, we fail to meditate on the fact that when we're resurrected, we are resurrected, as you said, as Christ being the first fruits. Could you touch Jesus when he, had, when he rose from the dead? Yes, you could touch him. But could he walk through walls? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What we're getting... Is going to be amazing. And so many questions have come in, and we just hit on this, but just to clarify even further, you know, what about cremation? What about organ donation? All that sort of stuff. But um, I remember when the Pharisees were trying to trick Jesus, and they said, <laughs> what if a man was married, yeah. and then he died, and then his wife married another guy, and another guy, and another guy? Whose wife will she be, you know, in the resurrection? And Jesus says, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. 
so so let's, God is sovereign over all of the DNA, all ab- the molecules. Absolutely sovereign. And here's what's awesome about the sovereignty of God. It's not a sovereignty that is um, unknowable. Hmm. It's a sovereignty that is dependent upon and relied upon. So let's change what Josh said a moment ago because it was true. The Pharisees were trying to hook Jesus into a conundrum where Jesus couldn't answer their profound question. Mm-hmm. Poor guys. <laughs> those guys were dealing with the brain of God, but they thought they could, they could best him on it. So imagine, if we take this kidney out of this guy yeah. and put it in this guy, and then take the kidney out of that guy and put it in this guy, forget about the wife, make it a yeah, kidney. kidney. Whose kidney be. is it? Okay. What is yours is going to be yours in eternity. You're going to get it back. It's going to be the ramifications of sin and of death and of um, all that rebellion plunged this world into, you are going to receive the you in perfection. And uh, this is something which I'm, I'm marinating in because the Bible tells us, and we often, Josh, end quoting this verse too mm. soon, I has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And we stop there. Do you know what the next word is? But he has revealed it to us. The word but. Yeah. But he's revealed it unto us, which means we need to stop saying we can't know Mm. what things are going to be like in heaven. Now, hear me out. I think that if we allowed ourselves to enjoy a little bit of sanctified imagination, Mm. sanctified, (laughs) biblically based imagination it could be pretty thrilling because we would go back imagine imagine a heaven imagine god's kingdom imagine christ in the second coming back to earth and we're with him Mm -hmm. revelation 19 says we come with him okay so what will it be like we know that there's going to be for example nations it says that's interesting it says that by the way jerusalem's going to have a prince See, I thought Jesus was the king. Oh, he is the king. But there's a prince. In Mm. fact, there has to be a prince because that prince was promised to rule over Jerusalem forever. Not the king, the prince, Mm -hmm. an assistant, if we could put it to the king. Who does the Bible say that prince is? David. The Bible says that if a nation doesn't come and worship the Lord every year in Jerusalem, that God will withhold reign from that nation. So this, to me, is sanctified imagination. All biblically true, what I just said a moment ago, but what does it look like? How is it going to pan out? It's going to be thrilling. Yeah. You spoke a little bit about the kingdom and this, this time. And so just in, in by way of a quick time frame overview, yeah. right, we, have, we have the rapture, and this person asks, they're a little, you know, honestly pondering this, this principle if Jesus went to prepare a place for us, mm-hmm. you know, why, right why, come, why come back and then why be on earth for a thousand years? And then why, you know, what is this all about? So what does this time frame look like? Yeah, great question. Okay, so G- true. Jesus left this place as it is to go and prepare a place for us mm-hmm. in his father's house. We know that heaven is an actual abode or dwelling place. Church, listen. Heaven does, it's not something that goes forever and ever and ever. That's the characteristics of heaven. Heaven, the dwelling of God, 
in the spirit realm seems to have a, a low a, a locale a uh, that uh, it's it can be measured. You say, Jack, I've never heard this before. Yes, you have. The Book of Revelation tells us about the city of God, mm. and you can measure it in fifteen hundred in every direction furlongs. And I'm sorry, but I'm I got caught with my furlongs down. I don't remember what that distance was, but the city is massive. And all around the city emanating out is eternity. Okay? The Bible tells us, which now listen, follow along, at the end of the millennium, the Bible says God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. We need to pause right there because this is deep (laughs) stuff. A, does he and blow the whole thing up? Is that how we view it? That he creates a new heaven and a new earth? Or is it like what he did in the days of the flood? Will he not flood at this time? Remember, we're told in, uh, in the scripture that he, he, he's, he flooded it once and he put a ro- rainbow up to tell us he'll never flood it again. But the fine fire. print says he's going to burn it with fire. So here's what's fascinating. When Jesus comes back, thousand-year reign, why? Because Jesus Christ must rule and reign upon the throne of David, Mm -hmm. or else he's not Jesus. That's how important Mm -hmm. it is. But why do that? Because man is to see real government. Man Mm -hmm. is to see true government. He had it in the Garden of Eden, and he didn't like it. Mm -hmm. He thought he would form his own thing. And uh, we've, lived, we've lived under the tyranny of politics ever since. God's going to come back and establish his government. He has to because the prophet said, uh, at the end of the millennium, the Bible says that he's going to melt the elements with fervent heat. So here's where we get down to theological tweedledees and dums. We have to see how this goes. It doesn't align with God's consistency that he would literally dissolve or annihilate all that he's created. Why do you say that, Jack? Because he's the redeemer. I believe just as he flooded the earth and scoured its surface, I believe that he's going to, the medical term is autoclave. I believe that he is going to scorch the surface of the earth and recreate it. Mm-hmm. I believe that he's going to scorch the heavens and the earth. Mm-hmm. He's going to purge, cleanse, purify, just like we cleanse medical instruments. We don't destroy them. We pass them through the fire to get them ready to be used again. God is going to stay consistent to his nature, and he's going to scrub, as it were, this earth and in creating a new heaven and a new earth. I believe that he's going to redeem it and it will be forever. Isn't there almost an incredible picture in how he deals with us in that way? Completely. I mean, he has transformed oh. us into a new creation now. He'll transform our lowly bodies into heavenly bodies. There's just this, it's almost this transformation process that we just go from glory to glory. And if he did that with the heavens and earth, it would make Ma- sense. Makes perfect consistency. Um, and, here's what, and here's what it does for me, Josh, is that it answers um, the question about, well, does it matter how I live my life here? Because mm-hmm. after all, here is here and now is now, but then is then and there is there. Mm-hmm. Here's what's amazing. 
How you live your life in the here and now matters how it turns out in the there and then. So that goes just exactly in line with redemption. What we do matters because somehow in his economy, he's going to fulfill that, or can I say the word reward that? With the judgment seat of Christ and beyond? Makes perfect sense to me. Well, another question regarding that time after the rapture is, is one that we get frequently, and that is, you know, the Gentiles, the people that are left behind, who can repent and accept Jesus afterwards? Who can't? Who, who can get saved? Who's, delu- you know, under the delusion? Um, yeah. Is there a clear answer to that? Wow. Um, I really struggle with this one because I think I have a clear answer on it. Hmm. And I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like my own understanding of what I'm reading there. You're referring to Second Thessalonians 2, I think. Or is it first 5? I don't know. <laughs> but you're talking about the portion of Scripture there in Thessalonians where it says that when the wicked one is revealed, God will send them strong delusion so that they will believe the lie. It's not lies. There's going to be a lie, definite article. A singular lie is going to be told Mm -hmm. that they're going to believe. And you go, how do you know? Well, the Bible says so, and then it explains who they are. It says that it's the ones who, when they had a chance to receive the love of the truth, they didn't. didn't. To me, they're just like the people during the days of Noah. Mm -hmm. They heard the preaching of Noah for 120 years, but they didn't believe it, and then the door was shut. Then, I'm, I'm making this next part up now, I would assume, okay, Noah, Noah, we're just kidding. Open the door. <laughs> the door couldn't be open. They were swept away. I confess the view that I hold is, is kind of rare, but if right now, Josh, somebody can tell you and I the gospel mm-hmm. and they don't believe it, if the rapture happened in the next hour, I believe that that's the person that the Bible's talking about there. Yeah. To the person that does not have a clear understanding of it and God's sovereignty, you mentioned God's sovereignty a moment ago, yeah. that clearly there's going to be a number of those types that will believe so much that John said, I couldn't even number them all yeah. that believe. We underestimate how many people right now have never heard the gospel exactly. in this world. And here can we and can we can we be okay with this? He did tell us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, mm-hmm. but apparently the church will fail um, in that mission, though we're doing it to this moment. That what you just said, I believe, is so true. For for whatever reasons in his sovereignty, there will be tribulation saints that will come to Christ at the preaching yes. of the Jewish 144,000. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so in this next category of who goes, who stays, uh, we've talked about this already, and, and the answer is very, very clear in the scripture. Um, but there are some people saying, well, if, if someone accepted Jesus, but they're not walking with Jesus, do they somehow get left behind to go through the tribulation? Are there certain class of saints that go to get raptured and others who don't? Yeah, this has been a question for a long, long time. And when you say, when you say accepted Christ or received Christ, can I can I use yeah. ter- change the term for your question, friend? Um, born again. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not interested in people who say that they believe. Remember, mm-hmm. Jesus said there are those that he didn't even know 
who believed for a while. They believed, but their belief never took them to faith. So I'm going to assume that we're talking about born-again believers. So will born-again believers who are not walking with Jesus be left behind? Hmm. I believe the scripture is 100% accurate on this. The answer, I believe, is absolutely no. They will not be left behind. That's why the scripture says that we need to walk with him and we need to be obedient to him lest we be ashamed of ourselves at his coming. It doesn't mean you're not going up. It means that your face is going to turn red. (laughs) You're going to be, oh, oh. Uh, But it doesn't say you're not going up. And this, by the way, this doctrine has gone on forever. It comes from a theory or a thought that I'll just categorize as like this super saint mentality. Only those who are watching and ready will go in. They take, for example, the bride. (laughs) Yes, they take a parable and elements of a parable, the bride, the Mm -hmm. the oil and the Mm -hmm. lamps, too far. They take the the parable too far. So that's vitally important. Yeah. Well, there's a a ton more questions here. Um, Maybe we could kind of wrap this up with the application of it, right? A few questions came in talking about um, what if I'm nervous about the rapture? I have, I have family, family members that don't know Jesus. Um, you know, things, things are going really well in my life. I don't know what the future looks like. Uh, people wrestle with those things. So yeah, yeah. in light of the, the rapture happening at any time, we're going to be with the Lord. Sure. Um, what should be the mentality of, of the way we're living? Yeah, there's an old saying that we need to be so heavenly minded that we can that we can be earthly good, and some and and but it's more familiar familiarly known as that we can become so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. I'd like to flip it this way: the more that you study and look at heaven, know know and understand this, that the nature of God is that He's not desirous that anyone should perish. Mm-hmm. So, all of us are concerned about our lost loved ones. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's a beautiful concern. But you, but you must put that in the proper, proper place of God's good hands. It should not cause you to not want him to return. God's got that covered. You can't save your friends. God saves your friends. And the beauty of this is, oh, you know what, Pastor? I get married next week. I hope Jesus doesn't come tomorrow. <laughs> Believe me, what he has in store for you is better than your wedding next week. We've got to understand that. Those are sweet emotions, but they pale to the glory that you and I are about to receive at the hands and at the heart of Jesus. Yeah. The Bible clearly says that we are to love his appearing. Love it. And sometimes we uh, get our priorities messed up because we focus on what we see (laughs) and what we experience now in this world rather than what we don't see. And that's what Paul said. If we, if we wait for what we don't see, we wait with it for, with perseverance. And so amazing things ahead for the believer. Can't wait. Well, you guys, thank, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're, we're hoping that you can just dig into this subject more on your own, but um, we have some great teachings as well online at calvarycch.org. It's been fun to be with you. God bless you guys.